Just a heads up that this podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania where this podcast is made and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122. Or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1-800-RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains some legal information which is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. Bottom line is family violence won't go away on its own. It will not go away until we train people out of it. And the more that we speak up as a society, the more that trains people. Training. Had you ever thought about it as training? And would you know how to do it? I don't reckon many of us would, but that's about to change. Hey, if you didn't meet me in season one, my name is Penny Terry and I'm creating this podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. And in the first season, I realised that I probably wouldn't know if someone I knew was being abused or if someone I knew was doing the abusing. And that's what this season of Rule of Thumb is about, making it easier for all of us to do and say things that will help train people out of it. But when I say easy, yeah, it's probably not quite the right word. When I first kind of started vocalising, I had a whole bunch of bunch of friends who just like, oh, you've changed. Like, I was like, why? Because I don't tell misogynistic jokes at parties anymore. Like it's, um, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, they're like, oh, you're just different, man. It's like, it's you know, you're no fun anymore. And then those relationships changed so much in that time so you know stopped hanging out as much and then you know all grew apart and that's really hard like it's it can be it can be difficult to speak about these things knowing that um it is going to change the way that people think about you now i can understand if you're going hang on i thought we were talking about stopping family violence not a few dodgy jokes You might even be wondering if we're about to get stuck into men. We're not. We're always hearing that women can't fix this problem on their own. Everyone needs to be part of it. So I wanted to hear from men who are trying to see what it's like. That voice you just heard is someone I know as Dave, and he's one of many people who've helped me to better understand how to talk about some of this stuff and hear when something isn't right. And believe me, it's going to be hard to listen to this and inevitably think about all those conversations that you've had or not had with friends and family and clients and wonder what you missed or what you could have said. But I reckon it must be much harder when you realise it's too late. I hadn't told my family for 17 years when they finally did find out um, they were really, really shocked and dismayed and angry and I sort of had to contend with a couple of family members saying I want to pick up a cricket bat, so I want to um, 
exact revenge and and they were acting irrationally as well and very distressed and my family still recovering from that really now i wonder if this is the bit that we care about the what if what if it's someone i know well, probably the only thing I can be sure of in this is that the stats suggest that you do know someone. Someone who's being abused and someone who's doing the abusing. And that's hard to take on. The voice you're hearing is from someone I know as Deborah Thompson. That wasn't her name when she was in an abusive relationship and her voice also sounds different as Deb lives with a disability. Plus, we've got a bit of a dodgy phone line. You'll get to know Deb's story, little bits each episode. You'll also hear lawyers, counsellors, researchers and men. As over eight episodes, we're going to learn how to start noticing things that could lead to or are signs of family violence. And importantly, what we can do and say that will help. A lot of my clients will tell me it was when someone said something to me and that was about five years ago and I've never forgotten it and I'd love to be able to say thank you to that person now but I didn't know what to say at the time because I was too shocked or I was too scared or I wasn't sure and so please don't hold back from saying something to someone who's being targeted because you will change their life even if they don't act like they're grateful or they're thankful or that they agree with you or that you've been helpful it you don't don't need to worry about a lack of response the voice you're hearing is Torna Pittman and you'll get to know Torna she's a counselor with Engender Equality which is a support service for women experiencing family violence and she's also a researcher she did her PhD in coercive control in 2005 and the advice then One of the things I was told by my supervisors was to use a false name because of the danger, because of the backlash, because of the chance of being attacked or threatened, because I was putting my name out there as someone who was advocating for women and children and family violence. So that's how it was back then in 2005. So here we are in 2021 and yes, we're talking about it. But it still feels like most of us aren't doing anything about it. And there's a reason why. It's called bystander behaviour. So what is it? And why do we have so much trouble with it? I think the Kitty Genovese story is really, you know, prominent in that where a woman, a 28-year-old woman was murdered, I think it was 1965, in New York. Um, And there was a, you know, a block of flats and they, you know, they faced one another. So it was a courtyard in the middle of these blocks of flats. And she was followed and he stabbed her. She called out. She cried out. She cried for help. No one came to her help. And the story varies, but there was about 38 people who apparently, residents who apparently heard it. And someone might have called out, stop that. Well, hey, what are you doing? And he ran off. But then when he saw the inaction... Then he came back and he finished her off and he raped her. He stabbed her multiple times and raped her. And there was clear visibility. And this is summed up 
when a psychopath was asked, why did you think it was okay to kill this woman in public with all these people watching? And he said, because people don't do anything. And he knew that, you know, that he, because psychopaths really sum up other people's behaviors. They really know how to read us well. And so the bystander effect is that's whenever it's discussed that that particular incident is addressed because what is it that stops people from behave, you know, from helping? And a lot of people think, well, someone else will do it or I don't want to get involved because then I might get attacked. And that's valid. But it is amazing how we all can tend to think, oh, someone else will do something or say something here and no one does. Well, that's what happened for her. And so the bystander theory is about the inaction of people and the fear of people and also not knowing what to do or say and also kind of hiding up their inaction. They hide it. When I'm listening to you you talk, mm. Tawna, there's another fear that I have mm. and that's how I live with myself afterwards yeah. if I don't do anything. Mm. Do, do people talk about that? I have plenty of people who say to me, I feel so terrible because when my daughter, for example, was being abused by my son-in-law, I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. I was too scared to intervene. She might not talk to me. She might block me out. And so I didn't say anything. And I'm speaking as if it's always women. We have to remember it's not always women and we, and we can talk about all the different genders here. But in general, I'll just say she. And there's been many a time I haven't actually um, behaved like a kind of an informed bystander. I think it's because no one has really known what to do. And people have been trained into thinking that if there's family violence, it's their business, better not in interfere. And also I might get retaliated against. They have all these fears about it. It's all of our business. There needs to be a shift of responsibility altogether. How do we not be a bystander here? It's asking them, uh, are you okay? You seem you seem really head up. Um, is everything all right? You know, is there anything I, I can help you with? It's, just, it's actually just acknowledging it because women often feel really alone and the biggest problem is the confusion. They are generally confused about what's wrong. Now, if we start to moralise with them, you should just leave that's not going to work. They'll get more confused. Well, why aren't I brave enough to leave? It's, you, you just stay away from moralizing or telling them what they should do or what they shouldn't do. And you might just convey to them their rights. You might say, you actually have equal rights in this relationship, you know. And that means you have the right to be treated well. You have the right to proper conversations. You have the right to, to feel like you're being respected. And it's not we're not putting him down because she may love him. Look, whether you're still thinking about the psychopath or you're thinking about something that you didn't say or do, it's all tough because I think we've all felt like this, maybe like that mum or the people standing in that apartment block or maybe wishing that we had torn as words, words that might have replaced those ones in our minds saying, it's not really my place to say anything or I don't really know what's going on, so what would I say? By the end of this season, you'll have lots more words to say and practical things to do. And you'll probably have some things to think about when it comes to the systems that also don't call out family violence. Yeah, it's not just us. 
And look, it's complicated because it's not always obvious. For Deb, she didn't realise she was in an abusive relationship until it was too late. Now that I look back on it, I feel so ashamed and I know I shouldn't, um, but a small part of me feels ashamed and quite stupid. But in the beginning, the first few weeks, he treated me as if I was incredibly interesting. He hung off every word. He love-bombed me um, as if I was this amazing person. And I'd had previous boyfriends. They were very different, obviously, because they weren't abusive and they weren't trying to um, brainwash me or condition me. So, and unfortunately, once I'd reached the point where I did fall in love, or yeah, fall in love with him, and um, we formed a partnership, it was complete opposite. Once I'd moved in with him, all of that attention went away. He just spent any moment with me, um, denigrating me, abusing me, arguing. I became his slave psychologically in the end. And uh, I like and coercive control to brainwashing. It's insidious, dangerous. It reduced me to madness and um, it became a highly stressful and constantly tense environment that resulted in a life lived when nothing made sense. Was there anything that someone else did that you remember um, that helped you to realise that something wasn't right? No. There was... I was completely isolated and I think he knew that really I had to be isolated um, to accept his abuse. But again, also, my self-worth is so inadequate that I believed he has sound reasons punching me, raping me, strangling me. Um, that is in itself amazing now that I think about it. But at the time, his brainwashing, conditioning was so effective that, like I said, I believed that I deserved to be treated that way because I'd done something really wrong. What do you wish someone had said or someone had done at that time for you, Deb? Um, I, I wish it's it's hard actually the situation I was in then was all encompassing I um, was completely under his control so I guess what I wish is that someone anyone but no one seemed to realize that I was being abused and I guess too um, I kept that hidden I was very adept at pretending everything was fine. So that makes it doubly difficult, I think. Now, there could be all sorts of things going on for you as you listen to Deb. 
Some things might be familiar, or you might be thinking of everyone you know and wondering, would I pick it up? Would I be able to help? You might be thinking, he sounds like a really bad bloke. None of the people in my life are like that. I hope. For Brad Beitzel, who is a social worker and counsellor who works with people in abusive relationships, his take is that it's almost impossible for a man not to behave in harmful ways due to Australia's culture around manhood. But he says that that's no excuse for the abuse. And you'll get to hear how Brad came to that thinking as you listen to this podcast. But there's a metaphor that he used, which I now think about all the time. And this metaphor explains something that I think many of us trip over or or struggle to unpack. How what we might think of as harmless comments perhaps aren't harmless at all. We reckon that COVID is, um, is a pandemic. To quote the World Health Organization, they describe family violence as being worldwide and in epidemic proportions. So if we look at the COVID model, we're doing all these things, these micro-level things. We're, we're cleaning our shared spaces. We're wearing masks if uh, we're doing public transport, um, depending upon what part of the world you're in. We're self-isolating, these sorts of micro things. And if we don't do that, you catch it, and then uh, off you go to uh, get, you get, have to go to hospital and you might die. So similar thing with family violence is that um, m- most people get a sense that family violence is where uh, we men will physically hurt a woman. But most women uh, you speak to and studies have shown is it's uh, not the physical stuff that is, I mean, they hate that as well, but it's the uh, it's the emotional abuse that they detest. And most relationships, uh, women will say, he started out so well and nice, and then uh, things started to deteriorate. So it's small steps that lead to medium-sized steps of abuse, and then the the ones which uh, lead women to uh, to break down, to want to leave, um, cause all sorts of issues. And the cost of family violence, just from a uh, law and order and uh, hospital medical model in Australia some years ago, was about $10 billion. Well, that doesn't take into account, I'd imagine, all the women who are turning up to their GP to say that they're feeling depressed or anxious. Um, and I think it's those micro, those early stages of prevention. So if you're thinking that um, uh, laughing at a joke, uh, which you know, I once told, there was this uh, mad cow disease went around in England back in the 90s, and I was in a back in the newsroom. We had 50% men and women then, and there was the the uh, joke about mad cow and what do they got in common with women, and uh, some women would laugh as well, but they were generated by us men, and therefore, if that's okay then um, ogling or uh, making um, comments about a woman's physicality is the next step. And then from there, um, women become second-class citizens. So we go out socialising and I'd see men, and I'd have to say I also was, was started to think about this, they, they become, you, object, you objectify them and they become like a commodity. And then often uh, we, we, we've heard with men who choose to 
perpetrate family violence. They see their women and children as part of their, their chattel. This is my house. That's my missus or that's the wife. That's like the, having the, uh, the, the Ford GT in the, in the garage. It becomes part of their ownership. And therefore, it starts then to build up to the next level of, well, I'll do what I want with them. And all violence is detestable, including the small jokes. Um, but you can see that there's uh, a continuum there with, with attitudes toward women. Women, all of those indicators are women are second or third class. Uh, I'm superior, and therefore I can do to women as I choose. And in family violence, many men, uh, because it's, there's a lot of shame for women to report it, can get away with it. Doesn't say it's right. Believe me, Penny, it's not right. It's awful. How are you going with that? Do you believe, Brad? that these comments can add up to that stat that says in Australia approximately one woman dies every week because of family violence. You'll get to know Brad and you'll find out that he struggled with it. I struggle with it. It's not just about the discomfort of having to challenge our own ideas of what we think is okay, but the people who say this stuff are our friends, our bosses, our brothers, our sons, our dads. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Good morning, Fanny. I'm going to put you on a podcast about life yep. I interviewed my dad and, yeah, it was a bit awkward. You'll hear the awkward laughs. Um, maybe learning something. Maybe you can learn something from how I'm feeling. Well, that's what I'm hoping. How old are you for the people listening? I'm getting on a bit, 75. So bystander action... That term, I mean, how much of it is it a new thing for you? Was it around when you were younger? Did you consider this sort of stuff? Uh, I knew about it but didn't really consider it because it became the norm. I'm learning that it is to do with the comfort of others. But there are problems like it is uh, what context it's said, who you're with and how you actually become the bystander that does something about it. Do you think the blokes think they're being disrespectful or do you think it's just part of what they're used to? No, we don't think. No, I think that's the problem. Um, Oh, full stop, you don't think? (laughs) Yeah, we don't think. Could be. It just, just flows and with a few grogs. But some women do um, join in and I suppose when they do that, once again it makes it hard for guys to accept that it's wrong or they should change. Um, But also I guess they're, in some cases, they are conditioned to it and that's what comes out. Um, You know, I've asked some women of my age how they feel about that particular comment. And they just say, well, this is what he's like. Um, We just accept it. So that is bystander action, asking a woman how they feel about it. How often do you do that? Um, Yes, I have done it a bit in um, recent times because 
it's made me feel a bit uncomfortable. So just I've just asked the women about it, and um, yeah, that's the reaction I get. Well, that's what he's like, and um, we know that, and we just just accept it. But then they know what he's like. What about the other women who don't know what he's like? And when you say what he's like, I mean, what does that mean? That he's a bit of a creep? I mean, that can't be a good thing for that bloke. No, but he might like being loud and controlling, powerful, the power kick. And it becomes hard as the bystander to um, intervene. You know, probably the, if you want to get involved, is asking the question, not saying, you know, what are you on about? Just saying, do you reckon that making them people feel uncomfortable or do you reckon that's the way we ought to carry on us, fellas? That's the awkward part. And also dealing with the um, perpetrators, you know, with their their power and you're probably not going to get through to him but you might get through to some of the other guys there or that they might hear it. You seem to be pretty tuned in now, Dad, um, to when these sort of things are said. I mean, is that something that you've noticed, that you, you hear them now and maybe you didn't used to hear them? Uh, yes, yep. No, I hear them now and um, I've felt myself just pulling myself up. And what's that like? Well, it is a bit a bit hard because you want to be involved um, and put in your crazy comment it's trying not to have it as, you know, a right and wrong. It's understanding. Understanding what you're saying is going to make people uncomfortable, but also it um, continues the um, these, um, system of disrespect. What do you think helped you with that understanding? Um, because it sounds like, you've, you know, you've had a bit of... An, penny dropping moment somewhere along the line. Maybe that's the pun. Um, but, I mean, you you now prioritise women's comfort or respect, if you like, over just perpetuating the same stuff because it, it feels easy and it's what you've always done. So what's helped with your understanding about the impact that these kind of comments or these kind of behaviours can have? I suppose it's the the bit that I picked up from um, you guys and your friends Um, and, you know, some of the women in my generation that I've spoken to about it, enough to say, well, what's going on? Um, They're just accepting something but they're feeling uncomfortable. Um, So what you might have thought was, oh, they're okay with it, you're learning, actually, no, they're just putting up with it. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Yep, and that's what they told me. I think the younger generation don't put up with it. That's what I felt, because it's come back at me to say, not appropriate, Dad. Okay, so that went pretty well. And while Dad does hear a bit from his kids about what we think, he's also not shy in putting his own views up. And I haven't had that conversation with him before. I sometimes find I really struggle to put into words what I mean when it comes to this stuff and I wonder if you've found your own safe or comfortable way to do it. Remember Dave? 
Here's how he approaches those conversations with others and with himself. There's a great analogy that um, a friend's brother uh, used to use, which was, you know, when you're trying to change people's minds, it's like making a statue and you can't make a statue with a sledgehammer, you make it with a chisel, you know? So it's like you have to take your time with it and you have to work at it. Um, so rather than saying that comment's not okay, you've got to check your behaviour, how would you go about it now? What do you, what do you say? Uh, I ask people why, like, why do you, oh, why do you think that? Why do you say that? Um, you know, have you considered this possibility? I think back to like a time when I didn't really care about stuff like this and wonder like, how was I like that? I don't understand why I thought, you know, it was appropriate to make jokes like that or, you know, um, smack a girl's ass at a barbecue or, you know, it was like pretty abhorrent kind of behaviour. And I guess the reason I think it's important to talk about it is because nobody called me out on that behaviour, you know, none of my mates because I guess they thought it was all okay. Um, And then, you know, none of the women that I knew because history shows us when you say, hey, that's really offensive, um, it's like, oh, well, too bad, be offended, (laughs) you know, like. What what do you see as being an ally of women? um, Being an ally, so... (laughs) I guess for me, and I think it's a different journey for everyone, so like being an ally is constantly addressing your own behaviour before anybody else's I think is really important. So, And everyone everyone kind of learns different things at different times. Um, so for me it's, you know, you might say something that you think is uh, really innocuous and harmless and then have somebody tell you, oh, that's actually... Um, you know, that's not that's not a great thing to say. Oh, that makes me feel this way. Um, you know, maybe back in when I was younger, certainly, um, my response would be, oh, so what, I was only joking or, you know, it's like it's not that big a deal. Um, and even sometimes still that is like the first kind of your first response, like the hackles are raised and you sort of reject anything that seems like a criticism. Um, but it's, then it's like taking the time to think about that stuff and think about your behaviour and how that affects people around you. Um, and then noticing that behaviour in other people um, and then giving them the benefit of patience to kind of educate and help them learn. Um, yeah, I've found I've got a lot of friends who are like really radical about this stuff, which is great. Like the passion is good. Um, but then, you know, I've got some friends who definitely still have some problematic kind of attitudes and and behaviours and it's important not to just like, I don't know, like I think sometimes people are just like, oh, you know, that, that person sucks, why do, you, why do you spend time with that person? Like why waste your breath? And it's sort of like, well, because somebody did that for me and if, if you kind of, if you don't give people the opportunity to grow and if you're only attacking them, they sort of, instead of accepting um, accountability they just reject attacks and so like so for me being an ally is being patient with myself and with other people so here we are right at the start washing our hands and doing those micro things like learning how to be patient or just asking if someone is okay 
From here, we keep going deeper. We haven't even heard from the lawyers yet. We will. In our next episode, we'll learn what emotional abuse and coercive control really is and what we might notice if someone is being controlled or abused in this way. So social withdrawal is a really big sign. So someone might be in a relationship um, that's new and they're starting to limit their contact with friends and family. Or the person might be really outgoing um, and really vivacious and quite out there and extroverted and then all of a sudden you don't see them at anything. And then we'll also start to hear about the systems that struggle to deal with this stuff. There is a reluctance within the profession, um, with police, with lawyers, with systems, to identify this um, as a problem, to ask about it. It's been a lack of understanding about how to proceed with these prosecutions because you're right, they are really difficult to establish. So that's next on Rule of Thumb. And if you click subscribe now, that episode will turn up in your feed as soon as it drops. Now, I can't stress enough that this is just a podcast. Please don't take individual advice from here. We've discussed some really tough stuff, so we've put links to services we trust in our show notes. Please check them out, if not for you, so you know where to refer someone else. And if you want to learn more from Deborah Thompson, you can keep listening or check out her book called Whose Life Is It Anyway? And that link is in the show notes too. My name is Penny Terry, and this is a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. This podcast is funded by the Tasmanian Government's Department of Communities as part of the COVID-19 Family Violence Response.